0: All of the South African narrative stuff I've worked on had one unit, maybe two, but uh, the second unit would really just go out to shoot some establishing shots, maybe a title sequence and so on. On international stuff, you have two, three, maybe even four or five units shooting different scenes. You'll have a, a unit shooting action scenes, you'll have a unit shooting dialogue scenes with with extras. She'll have another unit on the same day shooting stuff with the uh, with the lead actors.
1: Hey everybody, and welcome back to Department Spotlight, the show where we talk to our friends and colleagues about things that are happening in the South African film industry. So today, obviously, because of the pandemic thing, we can't be together.
2: So we're joined by three cinematographers, good friends of ours, who shot five of the six short films. Um, all of them except for Eve, um, who shot public engagement, and but we'll try and figure out to do something with him at another time, as he was not available for this. But yeah. Enjoy.
1: Yeah, let's let's Enjoy get into it.
3: it. <laughs> Hi, I'm Louise. Um, I'm a trained cinematographer. Um, my main work that constantly keeps me occupied is shooting short films and being a first camera assistant.
0: <laughs> okay, my name is Nader Spanikark, and I work as a camera technician, mostly as a first AC. I also do uh, second AC.
4: Okay, my name is Tsepan. I've been working for VIA TV as a B camera operator and I've been working on short films as well. I'm currently an intern at Multitrace. Awesome, awesome. Well,
1: welcome guys and uh, welcome to this like very strange <laughs> um, edition of uh, Department Spotlight, which is the show where we speak to our friends and colleagues in the film industry just about their experiences in general. What would you guys say? What are the different departments that fall under cinematography?
3: So many. <laughs> I think the biggest one for me is uh, problem solving. Is that when you have an issue and you're in camera department, somehow you end up solving everybody's problems. Doesn't matter what it is.
0: Yeah, I agree with that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, yeah. So you said your current field. So uh, when you were talking about like a first AC, uh, what does that mean, Natus?
0: Uh, well, more or less. You know, just Keeping stuff in focus, but <laughs> you know, it's building cameras, camera maintenance, um, it's running the entire camera crew. So we'll start off with a gear check, make sure everything is in order, do troubleshoots, make sure all your gear and equipment is working properly, and then on set, you know, maintenance and uh, troubleshoots on set, and then making sure everything is in focus. A lot of people call us focus technicians, as yeah. well. Um, but yeah, more or less, you're running the entire camera crew. So the director of photography doesn't have to bother with any, any snags or anything like that.
1: Cool, cool, cool. So
0: um,
1: L- Louise, uh, what is the job of like a, a director of photography specifically?
3: Director of photography really oversees the director's vision or specifically what the producers have stipulated that they visually want to explore for their project. Um, And that can be anything, any different type of genres or technical, like, um, out of the hat kind of tricks that they want to do if they want to do something out of the box or really plain and simple. Um, So it's really around visual. And then you also have an aspect of really dealing with your actors one on one, uh, which I find very important because there is a relationship that happens with the actor and the camera that. Uh, I think goes a little bit overlooked sometimes like everybody expects it to be just a relationship between the director the actors and then via director again to the director of photography but mm-hmm. there is a, a sort of relationship that needs to be built between the director of photography and the talent
1: that's very interesting uh to would you would you agree with that
4: yeah, I do agree. Like uh, our job as cinematographers is to just make sure you interpret very well the whole script as the director asks to you. Like the same that, like, if you're on set, like you know, this is needs to be whatever the uh, the director vision. Then you know you have to tell it the way the whole crew agreed and stuff. Like you know, hmm. yeah. Let Let's walk
1: through like um, you guys getting on set, right? So how do you sort of manage it um, from when you get onto set or even in pre-prod, but like once you get like contracted to do a job, what is sort of, what is the process? What, like what happens?
0: So, um, so first things first, this will have a gear check. Uh, you'll show up and you would test everything camera wise, everything from the actual camera, lenses, make sure the lenses are working, make sure the lenses are collimated. Uh, You'll measure distances, make sure the distances correlate with each other. You'll test cards, you'll test your codecs, you'll test literally everything. And make sure that your camera, as is, will work on the day of shooting. Um, You'll shoot some test footage, you'll send test footage to your DIT. And then, yeah, when you get on set, you'll you'll build camera, usually, generally, we we won't strike camera completely, we'll we'll put the camera about half-bolt, we'll de-lens it and so on at the end of the day. But um, you'll keep the camera mostly built every day when you get to set. You'll you'll fix up your camera as you did, and yeah, you'll you'll go and shoot. Um, that being said, the did is generally in charge of cards. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the cards will sleep with the camera, but that happens very rarely. Um, obviously, you'll run into issues on almost every set, especially if you do long form. So that's when when you'll do troubleshooting and so on, just to make sure that that. You don't run into as many issues. There's always something though, and that's when you'll have a, a, how can I say it, a channel of communication with your gear house for them to come and exchange gear and so on. But if you do your your gear check properly and if you do it diligently, then you shouldn't run into too many issues.
1: Um, And then after that, Topong, what do you do like after gear check? Uh,
4: For me, mostly, I haven't had to chew. I have a first AC. I'm mostly working on run-and-gun situations. Like, the the job needs to be done very quickly and stuff. Of course, I do mostly documentaries as well. So mm-hmm. I don't have that time to uh, test lenses, you know. I have to use what I'm given at the time. So, yeah, mostly it's just run-and-gun situations. But I make sure I arrive on time on set. I set up the camera. I do some tests in terms of, like, Do I need ND filter for this? Do I need this? Do I need light? You know, mostly I just use, like, natural lights. Like, um, there's a show that I've been working on, like, uh, it's on VIA, 147, yeah, his TV channel. Uh, Yeah. So that... Like, I haven't used most of light when I do, like, my B-unit shoots as well. Like, it's just natural light, natural light. And whenever the light is out, I have to stop shooting. So, that's (laughs) what I've been rolling mostly. The one, the the film that I worked on where I have, like, a first AC, like, it was uh, a Vets Honours film. And it actually won um, a SAFTA yesterday. So, oh wow! Yeah, wow! Yeah, Congratulations! Uh,
3: yeah, <laughs> I yeah, actually heard about that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. St- student. Wow. Yeah, student uh, small world.
4: Nice uh, SAFTA, Yeah, best student film. Yeah, so wow. that's the film that I, I also thought about. And the whole film we shot with uh, 18 to 55 Fuji film. Uh, not yeah, Fuji Fuji lens. You know, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So we we, we just use the zoom lens for the whole film. So, like, yeah. I see. Very interesting, very interesting.
1: Uh, Louise, uh, what maybe you can talk a bit about, like, lighting on um, when you get on set. How does that work for you?
3: Um, well, one thing that I will also say is that I noticed between uh, the two cinematographers that have spoken that... Um, there is an element of problem solving um Mm -hmm. there's just different routes of going about it um like what i spoke about earlier and it's all about your approach and your project like each situation is different so um when it comes to lighting uh, say if you do have a good relationship with a gear house and you are renting from a gear house and uh, the lights that they've given you have issues or etc uh, you're able to speak to them and to sort it out if you are if you don't have that kind of relationship where you're able to exchange equipment, then you've uh, got to just figure out what what to do with what you have available to you. Mm-hmm. And so depending on what that um, scenario looks like and what that environment looks like will highly impact what you're able to achieve in the end of the day. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Um, and like Particularly natural light is your best friend. There's so much that you can do with natural light. And honestly, with whatever you can find and whatever you can work with, you can really uh, use it to like the best. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even if you just bounce some light through a window off a white sheet to give your character a bit of a fill. Mm -hmm. uh, It makes a huge difference in the end of the day. Like it's all about how you work with what you've got available to you.
1: So so what you're saying is sort of like um, you work with what you have on the day um, in t- to light it.
3: Well, yes, I would say so. There is planning that goes into what you want specifically for your project. Mm-hmm. But of course, there's always going to be challenges. There's always going to be something that you didn't expect. And it's, it's just rolling with the punches and coming up with the best. Um, you always just got to deliver your absolute best that you can do. Yeah. And sometimes it isn't uh, what you wanted, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. You know what I mean? It sounds <laughs> a bit strange, but like I do, yeah. here, I, I think I'm sure you know what I mean. Like, yeah,
1: yeah. It sounds like you, um, both you and Topang were sort of uh, coming from like a kind of a low budget type um, environment. Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah. Or more run and gun guerrilla style shooting. Um, I'm curious, Nardis. You've worked on a lot of more like um, sort of big budget type. Shows right? Am I correct?
0: Uh, well, I wouldn't say big budget, but some some sort of budget, yes.
1: Okay, okay. Um, and would you say the approach on those shoots are like different from what um, Louise and uh, Tepanga are saying?
0: No, it's more or less the same. Eh. Um, yeah. There's always <laughs> something. There's 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 always something, mate. Uh, I think the big difference is you have you have more of a support system. Hmm. Um, you you sometimes have a larger crew. You sometimes uh, even you as an assistant would have an assistant. Would have an assistant. You'll have runners and so on. So <clears throat> everything doesn't necessarily fall on your head. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, like I yeah. said earlier, like I said earlier, you would oftentimes run into some issues, and you would you would be able to call a gear house or whoever, mm-hmm. and they can send their technicians to come and help you out, or
3: mm-hmm. to replace
0: yeah. gear, so on. Um, oftentimes on the lower budget stuff you'll you'll run into issues or you'll have stupid example you'll have broken batteries or something and you'll have to work around a way to shoot an entire day with only two or three batteries for instance Um, whereas whereas oftentimes on on a bit of the larger shoots you know you'll you'll have spares and you'll have you'll have a contingency plan um but no, it's it's more or less the the same thing. Um there, there will always be issues and it will always depend on somebody to fix those issues.
3: Yeah, I think the only instance where you're actually going to get something that's fully executable to your planning is if you're lucky enough to shoot in like a massive studio and that's when you're getting huge, huge budgets. That's like yeah. Warner Brothers kind of budget. So yeah, yeah like uh, I think that's the only environment with enough resources that's controllable enough to absolutely execute your idea to the T. Yeah,
2: yeah, that makes sense. It's really cool that the problem solving, the thinking around the problem solving, mm. stays the same. Depending on, like, it doesn't even matter about the budget. The, the The thinking still stays the same. It's just when you get more budget, you get more like safety net, as we was saying. But yeah. The approach seems to, from what you're saying is still is still the same. Like I often see, sort of from looking at like behind the scenes of various uh, projects, is that they're still trying to find the sort of most low cost way to solve the problem. Because when you think about budget, you just think that oh, you've got like all these more resources, but it's like you do in a sense, but it's this thing of As the budgets get bigger, the amount of people get bigger. So everyone has to still get paid. So it's still, the money's still like distributed in the same sort of way as a smaller budget thing. So you still have to end up with these sort of uh, very like creative solutions to
3: Mm. um,
2: stretch it as far as possible.
0: Absolutely.
3: Yeah. Also, it's time saving. Time is your biggest cost on a shoot, regardless of your budget.
0: I think at the end of the day whether you're you know a student working on a no budget or if you're working in Hollywood on a Warner's brothers shoot you're at the end of the day you're doing the exact same job. Uh, you have different equipment, you might have better equipment, newer equipment, but it's still at the end of the day essentially it's the same thing. Amazing. I agree.
1: Yeah, yeah that's actually really encouraging to hear as well because like um when you you know when you're starting out um you're like, oh, one day when I get to that level, I won't have these problems anymore. But the truth is actually like, no, you'll still have the issues. Um, they'll just be like on a different scale. And you'll use the foundation that you built in the low budget time to fix those issues.
3: Yeah, I'd say it's absolutely valuable, really. But it's also your mindset. If you have a really good work ethic, and you put value to what you've learned, then it pays off. If if you if you have a bad attitude about it and you just think that it's all a waste of time, then you're not actually going to put value to that, and you won't be able to kind of um, apply the experiences that you've had.
2: Um. So, so we're talking about we're talking about sort of the differences of budget sizes, but sort of segueing into. Different types of sets. Um, I have a question here. What's the difference between a commercial set and a narrative film set?
0: For me, um, because I work on both, I think n- with narrative you oftentimes have a have a lower budget per episode, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But you have a little bit more time. Um, commercial sets are are generally more comfortable, but you're you're rushing. You have to oftentimes shoot a three minutes or so in 12 hours. Um, mm. The crews are oftentimes the same size. It depends on the the general size of your commercial. Um, but commercials, I find, anyways, are generally more comfortable, a little bit more cushy than, than narrative kind of uh, drama series, TV dramas, and so on. Um, but... I think most people prefer to do commercials. If you can get the the amount of work, if if you can work often within a month, most people yeah. would prefer to work on on commercials, as opposed to drama series or even features, um, because you you first and foremost you get paid more. You get paid on a daily basis, instead of weekly or monthly, and most things are better it's more comfortable on commercials that's very is interesting.
2: The, the price difference in, in terms of your income is that specific to here or is it just that's the way the commercials as industry is versus narrative internationally
0: so commercials generally pay a daily rate whereas narratives uh generally pay weekly or monthly rates um okay. So your your weekly rate, you might be pulling more money uh, per week or per month, but yeah. if you can get the same quantity of work getting paid daily rates, then you want to get paid in daily rates because you would make mm-hmm. more per day than you would per week. Let's say I have a week where I can make six commercials. I'll make far more money than a week on a TV drama. Interesting. Oh. Yeah, that makes a lot yeah, of sense. Yeah.
1: That makes a lot of sense. I mean, even for like, uh, like from my side on the editing um, jobs that I do, uh, the shorter jobs tend to pay more than the longer projects, which I guess is for the same yes. reason. Yeah.
0: Even on even on smaller shoots, um, for instance, I do a lot of music videos, and I prefer to do music videos because I get paid in a daily rate, and they always make my daily rate. Although. On long forms, you do have more security because you know your rent will get paid at the end of the day, at the mm. end of the month, um, you'll be able to buy groceries and so on. All your yeah. bills will get paid. But if you it's can get the same quantity, if you can get the same quantity um, per daily jobs, then you would you would rather do that. Have you?
1: I'm curious. Have you had uh, sort of weeks or months when you got enough or the same amounts of daily Array jobs as the long form stuff has that happened?
0: I, I have, I have. It doesn't happen often, but it has happened. Um, Yeah, that's that's best case scenario. Um, But mostly, as a general rule of thumb, if I can get onto a long form, I'll get onto a long form.
1: Okay. So, so what is it then about the long form that attracts you um, over sort of like obviously money is not the the biggest decider, but what is it about long form that Attract you to it
0: um it's it's fun, man I, I like <laughs> it. I feel like I feel like that is that is me and my happy place. Um, it's also I don't want to say it's less stressful because the stress factor is still there, mm-hmm. but you, you 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 work with the same people every day, you get used to your crew, you get used to your sets. so yeah. after you know a couple of weeks, you know everything is good. there's generally also less egos because people don't feel like there's something to prove. Mm. In the commercial world, you know, every day is with a new crew, every day is with new people, sometimes you'll run into people who have something to prove, sometimes it can be great, mm-hmm. um, but I generally prefer to to work on a long form, you know, you get along with your DOP, you get along yeah. with your assistants, everything. Mm, yeah. Everything is nice, man. I see, I see. Um, whereas whereas with, with commercials, oftentimes it's it, it can get a Extremely stressful.
1: Mm. Tupeng, um you mentioned that you're working sort of full time for a company and interning with MultiChoice. Um, are you also on a, on a lot of sets like uh, Nardis's uh, when he does his commercial? I mean, the narrative work.
4: Uh, they usually call me for like assisting and like um, it's the company's Cooler Box Brothers, by the way. Yeah, yeah, Maroon. He he actually went to yeah Titi there as well. Uh, I've noticed like in mostly the. The documentary that we shoot mostly. Like, it's mm-hmm. just... Everything is, like, it's just quick. I don't know. Like, okay, I see. I haven't really went too into, like, the budget and how things are done and yeah, stuff, yeah. but I just go there and get my daily rate because they get me, like, they hire me as, a like, a freelancer. I see, I'm not, yeah. like, permanent with them. Yeah, yeah. So all your days are when they need yeah, mostly. Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, very interesting. Um, And how, how when you say it's not as long, how... How many days would you say it is per shoot?
4: Like mostly we can do like twelve um, episodes in a month. Actually, yeah. Oh wow! Like the, the the farm show, the farm show that we did, yeah. Like we shot each episode for two days. So yeah, sure. and we are traveling <laughs> as well. So yeah, like wow. there's no time to just say, okay, we need to plan this. We need more time to film this. Like even the other one, the for here May. me, yeah, it's yeah. on yeah v as well. Yeah, like we 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 didn't have. Um, enough time to get more cutaways because I was getting the cutaways um, the a, a A unit was getting the like the in, the, the interviews mm. so I'll say okay I need short of this street I need the short of that or short of that like yeah. I don't have time for that I'm giving like a day to make sure <laughs> get I everything enough cutaways like mm. like yo yeah
2: but I mean there must be something to say for that like the ability to just think on your feet and just just like... True, true. Quickly. Yeah,
4: because like documentaries, they train you to to make decisions like quickly. Like, because you don't know, we work on like actually mostly for, for the weather as well. You don't know, you might plan to have those beautiful sunset shots and it can be clouded the whole day. So mm. it's more like you you, you have to use whatever yeah. you can, like if they, yeah, adapt to the situation as well. So I think, yeah. Do you think that when
2: you when you go onto sort of a, a longer form production do you feel that that that, that way you were shooting on those other uh, documentaries sort of helps you in a way to, to sort of train you to make decisions quicker or sort of what's the what's the benefit of um, doing a shooting a production like really quickly like you have to do
4: what i've noticed mostly when i'm on like um, when i shoot uh, short films we run out of time mostly. So doing the documentaries and like uh, um, those quick shoots, I've learned that mostly you need to know how to light very quickly. Like you don't have to think about it, think about diagrams. Like you have to look at the set and say, okay, here's my natural light is coming from this side and you need to add more lights from there and stuff. Like you need to think like very quickly. Cause even your team will respect you for that as well. Like if you know what you're doing as well and said like they will see that, okay, we need to move. Yeah. Awesome.
1: Um, Louise, do you have uh, anything from your experience? Um, sort of like uh, you say, you, you said you shoot a lot of short films. What is sort of the longest shoot uh, shoot window that you've had?
3: Um, well, my, okay. So you kind of had like a two part question um, my experience pretty much around the topic of um, commercial shoots and um, the cost difference and etc. Um, it's actually such a personal question, really. If you're trying to see or compare your rates to other cinematographers, they're really protective about what they're actually asking on a, a, for a daily rate or a personal rate or however they choose to charge their time. Um, and it's very difficult once you're starting out to figure out how to price yourself that isn't too low, like you don't want to go bankrupt, but isn't mm. too high because then pe- people don't want to pay that price. Um, so it's it's quite difficult when you first start out. Um, I remember um, a friend of mine who was also uh, just a very fresh graduate worked with me on a production, and as a daily rate, she put down something really ridiculous like 500 grand and as for an individual who's gotten education and has practical skills and um, has a semblance of knowledge like that's way too low but of course you don't know that when you're just starting out and I still find it quite difficult to actually figure out where to place myself Um, but interestingly enough the film commission for freelancers I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Um, but they released a statement saying that a daily rate should be three thousand six hundred rand. And I don't actually know anybody who's willing to hire me for three thousand six hundred rand a day. Like our industry Mm. is just not willing to pay that. So I think that the, the freelancer's daily rate or weekly rate or monthly rate, however they want to charge their time, will depend on the economic status of that industry. Like it's mm-hmm. just, it goes hand in hand. It just, like that's how it is.
2: When Louise was speaking about sort of rates and all of that, kind of consideration and like students not knowing how much to price themselves when they go out into the industry it it kind of reminds me of like in high school when you're doing a and you're like and then you get out into the real life and you're like why didn't a teach me like how to do my taxes mm. and it's like i feel like in film school yeah. they don't teach you what the industry is really like that's true. You know what I mean? Not, I mean, some lecturers do, and some of it's covered. But it's—I don't feel like—I don't feel like enough yeah. focus was put onto it. Um, like I didn't learn anything about being a freelancer, um, except on the odd occasion when it would just come up, like in conversation, or someone would actually have to bring it up. But
4: yeah, yeah. it just
2: reminds me of mm-hmm. high school and Allo and how we weren't like really prepared. And it's like, oh, you have to do taxes now, and it's like. I don't know how what? to do this. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what I mean? What do you um,
3: mean? Like you knew it was going to be there, but actually in the end of the day, you don't know how to do that thing. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I think all of us studied under, all of us who studied cinematography anyway, studied under Harmon Kuzak. Uh, Harman yeah. And yeah. I do recall him mentioning how much, you know, freelancer would make more or less but in terms of assisting and in terms of how we're working we didn't we weren't really prepared all mm. that much mm. i remember my first job outside of form school was completely i mean it was such an eye opener mm. cuz i was working i was working on a two camera crew i was second camera assistant and i learned more in those couple of months from those people than i ever did at form school
4: mm.
0: so i would yeah. say if you if you if you really want to learn how to work in the industry you know get your ass on a job and and learn from the people who are actually working in the industry film school will only prepare you that much
3: yeah i think film school is geared towards the practical side of it and i think i mean i'm i've literally just said problem solving this entire video so far but honestly like That comes from Harmon, he really like drilled that into us and really like gave us a lot of tools about how to problem solve things and like to think for yourself and to be able to resolve these issues that you're constantly going to have. And um, it's so much better to make those kind of mistakes and that learning curve um, in university or in a sort of educational uh, environment, which is kind of safer uh, than on an expensive film set but nothing will repair you for the industry like the industry will. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely its true. own it's its own educational tackles.
2: That is one of the like pros of going to the film school is exactly what you're saying. You get that that kind of buffer between, you know, the industry and, and
1: not and knowing anything and Yeah,
2: like, yeah not knowing mm. anything and so you don't get slammed by that wall. But what what do you think each of you would you say to be a cinematographer in south africa you kind of touched on it already Is like film school necessary
0: i don't think it's necessary um i do think it's beneficial i do think you can you can get to a position where you can you can have more responsibility and do more um on a certain in the industry if you've gone to film school and you've gotten the, those qualifications do you have to do it No. Um, Would I suggest that you do it? Yes, probably. Um,
1: I wanted to ask what if you. Okay, so let's do it two part. Like, if you. How do you get on your first set? That's the question. But like, if you didn't go to film school, how would you approach it? And how did you eventually get on your first, like, paying job um, set?
4: For me, I actually started, like, doing stuff for free, actually. Mm-hmm. I approached people and I asked, can I shoot this for you, like, for free? Because I started back then with the weddings and stuff. Like,
3: mm-hmm. my first
4: wedding, I asked, like, uh, people, like, okay, can I just cover the ceremony? Can I cover this? Then I will show you the footage and maybe mm-hmm. you'll pay me if you want to, yeah. So I think it's more out of asking as well. Like, you have to approach people and network with people mm-hmm. attending those, Um, uh, what is it, the media thingy um, oh, the they expo. usually have it at uh, ticket pro. yeah the expos like make sure you attend the expos network with people because even um, the Moya film that we, we shot the short film that won this after mm-hmm. the reason why I got the, 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 the job was like I uh, was working on a commercial as a colorist actually yeah just a quick commercial for, for YouTube channel actually so the oh. guys showed me like the way I was I was waking as well like on set because I was also assisting the the cinematographer with like rigging lights and moving stuff and yeah so he was like okay I'm working on a on this film would you mind to to be part of like uh, the film as a director of photography? And I was like, okay, cool, I will do it. And yeah. he didn't say I will pay you. I will do this. I was like, okay, this is an opportunity. Let me just do. Cause what, what am I doing? Like I was, yeah, there was nothing that I was doing. So I was like, okay, I will, I will do, I will do the job. So yeah. So it's more like you you grab you need the opportunity or make the opportunity and, yeah, for yourself. Yeah. Yes. Interesting. Interesting.
1: Um, Nardis, would you agree?
0: yes no absolutely um my first job as well i was when i just graduated i I struggled a bit to get onto sets and Mm -hmm. i actually worked as a like as a sparky in lights for the first couple of months literally just moving stands and plugging in lights and um the first couple of months was really a struggle for me and then a friend of mine was working on a television show and they needed somebody to stand in as a camera operator for a day Mm -hmm. um I, I messaged them and I said, I'm available, I can do it. I think I botched the job, but the same production company called me back.
3: Oh, amazing. And, uh, mm. well, that's, that's when you know you're good. That's,
0: <laughs> that's, that's when I actually ended up, ended up on a TV drama for quite a few months on B-cam, pulling focus. And yeah. from there on, you know, every single job I've ever did, I can trace back to, to that job. Oh, wow. And, you know, it's just making yourself available. And mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever really said no to any jobs. I think there are one or two jobs that mm-hmm. I've declined to do. And that's really just because the production company had such a bad reputation that I didn't, you know, mm, uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't yeah. do it. you
3: got to be careful of that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And as a general rule of thumb, I'll, I'll take any job. I'll do any job. I'm not fussy. And like I said, everything I can, I can trace back to that first job and, yeah, your career will, will just continue. You know, every awesome. month you'll get a little bit more. You'll meet more people. You'll get a reputation. And, yeah, that's how I, that's how I built my career up.
1: Cool, cool. Uh, Louise, do you have anything um, to add? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, cool. No problem. No,
3: I think that encapsulates it pretty well. Like, you just keep going. Um, there are the things that you have to say no to and you have to... I don't know it's it's difficult and it's I find it quite stressful like knowing when to say no because yeah. I don't know like you're closing a possibility that could lead to something much better even though if that one thing that you've got to do isn't the greatest so yeah. it it is a kind of give and take part but i think the biggest thing that you got to look out for is if the people that want you on the project does not have a good reputation or they're not um registered um or i don't know you can just tell if they're if they're not legitimate you shouldn't be working with those people and those are the people mm-hmm. that you should say no to so if you're unsure then those are the things that you look for
0: cool there, there will be red flags yeah also the the industry is very small. everybody, everybody talks to each other. everybody knows each other. so it's it's very easy to get a bad reputation. Um, you know, but also, some people can have a bad reputation at some you know by some people and a good reputation from other people. Mm. but it's it's at the end of the day, it's completely up to you whether or not you want to accept the job, whether or not you want to do the job. Um, for me, if I know that, that people don't pay or people overwork you, then I would mm-hmm. rather not, I would, I would mm. rather not get onto that set. Um, cause at the end of the day, you know, my, my health is more important than whatever production you're doing.
3: Yeah. Definitely. That is a very common thing that also does happen. Like, um, working over hours is just a reality of the film industry. It's going to happen that at some point but you do get uh, productions. And I can think of a few that like absolutely, oh, this happened to me. Okay. Story time. This happened (laughs) to me on a commercial that I shot. I was working with a vehicle manufacturer and we were shooting on a golf field with um, three different vehicles and we shot them all within one day, 30 seconds. Well, 30 seconds is the end product for each vehicle. Um, And, like I didn't have any water or any food all day. Like what? there was no, um, yeah, you know, like there was, there was no actual care for like the individuals who were working. Um, we were all in the sun all day and it was absolutely awful. Uh, also mm. the crew was horrendous. Like they treated me very, very badly. Um, at the end of the day, like we just spent an entire day together, all these people. And at the end of the day, they still got my name wrong <laughs> after correcting people fifty thousand times, what? and it was it was a horrendous experience. And like, <laughs> it's it's just stuff like that where you get worked to the bone, and mm-hmm. you still get treated really badly. And it costs you. Mm-hmm. I was very badly dehydrated. I had to go um, to the emergency room. If I remember Jeez. vaguely correctly, my mom was very worried. Um, mm. <laughs> yeah, so Jeez. it was. That can very easily happen. Like you think you're going into something great, and then it ends up not being great. Like it just, mm-hmm. it's very touch and go. In the end of the day,
0: yeah. absolutely. Oh, what yeah, is a human right?
3: <laughs> what what are human <laughs> rights? Yeah. So
0: last year, actually, I was I was working as a clapper loader on a commercial for a Zambian company. Mm-hmm. And we ended up doing two day shoots. The first day we shot 14 hours, which is fine. I mean, it happens. The yeah. second day we actually went for six hours over time. So we ended up shooting almost 18 hours. Straight. Um, straight straight and you know many reasons we would shoot entire scenes and then the client would come in and they're not happy but we've already shot an entire Mm. scene turned camera around everything yeah at the end of the day we shot 18 hours and they did not even say thank you so that's that's Mm. my story and i can can deal i can deal with a lot of things but not having water and not getting a thank you don't do that
1: yeah 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 like it's a it's a respecting as well like um, you know, respect my craft. I'm I'm trying to make your craft look good. You know,
0: exactly. we, that's all we want. Like exactly. just mutual respect. They did better over time though, so okay. saw the line. But, but still, <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah, yeah.
1: All right. Um. So let's move on to like a couple more sort of fun type cinematography <laughs> questions. Um. So I want to ask. Uh, what is the most recent film that you saw that really made you think about your shooting style and how you would want to, I don't know, adjust it or things that you want to try?
0: I actually watched Seven last night, and uh, oh, yeah? I still regard it. I still regard it as one of one of the prettiest movies. I mean, it's it's ugly pretty, yeah, but it <laughs> it's very gritty, so yeah. well and it looks so amazing, man. And um, I don't know, I can't, I can't. Really think of any focus pulls or anything like that at the moment, but just the way it's it's lit and the way they'll play around with lights in the in the narrative. Um, like for instance, there's that scene where Brad Pitt's character, the detective Mills, tells the story of uh, where he shot the guy. Can't remember the the cop who got shot's name. And when the scene starts, it's pretty pretty low key like pretty dark almost chiaroscuro and then you see the sun moving past them in the car and by the end of the scene it's it's almost like more of a more of a high key a little bit brighter kind of lighting setup and i think that speaks volumes about the narrative you know him mm. getting this story that, that's been bugging him for years off of his chest i just think it's i oh it's such an amazing form and it's made so beautifully
3: very yeah, true. Seven Very is true. absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Um, for me, I actually recently watched a series. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I haven't looked into the behind the scenes of it too much. I'm not even sure who the director of photography is yet. I only really just saw this. It's yeah. a series. It's um, an Apple original series called Sea. And Jason yeah. Momoa is uh, one of the main characters that's in it. Yeah, yeah. And... Basically, within the story premise, uh, all these characters are blind. Mm-hmm. And the way that they visually depict this is very interesting. Like Typically, you have a very standard um, way in which you uh, place your characters inside a frame for eyeline and uh, their basically normal social dynamic flow. Yeah. But because everyone is blind, it's completely different. Um, characters don't necessarily look at each other. Characters mm. um, are intruding in, into each other's personal space. And besides that, it's in a like utopian world which does not have electrical lighting. And so it, there's a lot of blues and reds and oranges from trying to mimic different lighting scenarios and just thinking like there's a forest scene that is lit amazingly and i just like it blows my mind when people shoot outdoors and it looks so good i just it blows my mind <laughs> I, honestly because i think one of the worst things is to shoot under trees because as soon as the sun comes out oh boy are you gonna see a bunch of flecks of little light and it's gonna be annoying as hell. and then the sun's gonna go away and then all the little light goes away and it just nothing makes my blood boil than shooting under trees and outside because the sun never behaves ever. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah there's a, a you know, And the series just, just in general is just um, really amazing, very different. But I think that that's the most interesting thing that I've seen about this series is character dynamic and how they've managed to, Manipulated in such a way that it's, it, it makes you conscious of the fact that their social dynamics are very different. And it's actually executed through the, the way that the characters are shot. Like, I don't know how else to explain it. It's very yeah. different.
1: Interesting.
3: Brad. Absolutely recommend. <laughs> very
1: interesting. Okay, it. cool, cool. Uh, Tupan, do you have a, a, ser- a show, a series or a movie?
4: I think I still love um, Sicario, the first one.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't uh, know why, I
4: like right. I don't know uh-huh. why I like like Roger Dickens, but the way he lights, like uh-huh. it's so natural. Like you wouldn't tell that there was a light there, like it's supernatural, nice mm-hmm. and soft, like yo. So for me, like even the way he lenses as well, like the choice of lenses, like a simple close up, we can even do it with <coughs> thirty five or twenty five, like it still looks good as well. So yeah.
1: Definitely. I mean Roger Dickens is this is a master. <laughs> but then that <laughs> that does bring us to who is your favorite um, DOP?
0: Probably
4: I Emmanuel oh, Okay,
1: Yeah, Emmanuel Lebeski is great.
3: Oh.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um
4: USA? I think it's obvious for me. Yeah, Roger Deakins. <laughs> yeah, I <just> said it. <laughs> <laughs> True,
3: true. And Luis? Same.
1: <laughs> Which one? Lebeski or Deacons? Both.
3: yeah it's just yes just yes (laughs) yes (laughs) which
0: one yes what is
1: it about their style that um attracts you to their work
0: i i think for me with lebesky anyways is he has a he has a way in you know telling a narrative and character development um that is natural, but not natural at all, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, he almost has this fantastical world in, in all of his films
1: mm-hmm.
0: where it feels so natural, even though it's it's not. Um, and he has a way in, in, he gets the story across in a way that that just feels right.
3: Yeah, I, I completely understand what you're saying. Um, it is quite, I think it's unusual because. It's quite different to what other cinematographers have done before, but yet the motion that he's using is somewhat a natural motion. So, the audience is almost comfortable with it, but also uncomfortable with it because it's so unusual. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Mm. Those yeah. wide-angle close-ups, yeah. man. Yeah. 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 Those wide-angle close-ups on like, an IMAX screen. Yo. Remember yeah. I watched... Uh, the Revenant, I think, on an IMAX screen, and it was like transcendental, man. It's
0: magic.
4: It's absolute magic. But what was the question again?
2: <laughs> what is it about
1: uh, Roger Deakins' <laughs> style that um, in- attracted you to him?
4: Um, I think I've watched one of his interviews, and he was like, um, he doesn't have a style. He approached each film differently, actually so and i've noticed but then you also notice if you watch his work as well like the way he keeps his skin tones there they say like i don't know if he is because he likes ari alexa but yeah he's, so he's milky, like he's like yeah. it's more milky like his hmm. footage like yeah like it's amazing
1: i want to sort of segue a little bit like um roger deakins always or as much as possible operates himself right Obviously, we know recently, as yes. he gets older, he doesn't operate as much anymore. Um, when you guys are the DOP on a specific set, right, do you prefer to operate yourself or do you get um, somebody to operate for you?
3: I've always operated myself, always. Why is that? Um, I think just because of the vision that I have or that I want to execute. It's so much easier to do that hands-on. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose if you find somebody that completely understands the, the style that you want to achieve and that you're really comfortable working with, uh, then it can work to, to work with someone in that regard. But um, as of yet, I haven't found someone that I'm totally comfortable giving my child to. So uh, I'm going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I cool. think it's just I think it's just a comfort thing, frankly. Yeah. All
0: right. Fair enough. Uh, uh Yeah, no, I have to agree with Louise. Um, I feel the same way. In South Africa, it really is the standard for most DOPs to operate themselves. Okay. Um, I've, I've I've been fortunately and fortunate enough to be on a on a couple of international shoots where the DOP actually had operators for them, mm-hmm. and I think it's it's more for them. It's the luxury of sitting and watching the screen and taking everything in. Um. Mm-hmm. That being said, they also have operators that are regarded as some of the best in the country. So, mm-hmm. y- yeah, you 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 have to get to a certain level, I would say, in order to do that, and in order to pull it off. Otherwise, for me personally, I would I would operate myself always. Yeah.
4: Cool. Cool. T'bon. Um. For me, yeah, I agree. Cause in South Africa, like, I prefer a minimal crew like I don't like so many people around me mm. as well so the the less the better actually I can think properly as well like yeah and I can always frame the way I want to as well like unlike yeah. telling someone okay you should have done this you should have done that like you yeah. know I remember I was doing this other shot like a dolly move then I was asking like my my AD to just push slowly and stuff then I was like hmm it's not the pace that I want <laughs> then I had to I had to operate and push myself what? at the, at the <laughs> same time as well. So yeah, actually, I'll send you one of the shorts as well,
2: yeah. Um, I wanted to ask, Nadas, you mentioned that you worked on some international sets. Um, what is the difference that you found between South African sets and international
0: sets? Budget, really. Um, I think budget is the is the largest difference. The crews are far, far larger. Um, and you also have multiple units where in mm-hmm. South Africa, all of the South African narrative stuff I've worked on had one unit, maybe two. Yeah. But uh, the second unit would really just go out to shoot some establishing shots, maybe a title sequence and so on. Mm. On international stuff, you have two, three, maybe even four or five units shooting different scenes. You'll have a, a unit shooting action scenes. You'll have a unit shooting dialogue scenes with, with extras. You'll have another unit on the same day shooting stuff with the, with the lead actors. So it's really far larger, larger budget. Just everything is much, much bigger. Um, personally, like I said, I prefer working on smaller stuff because it's, it's much more intimate. Mm-hmm. Um, so working on, on stuff that's that large with that many people, I just find it chaotic personally. Um, somehow everything gets pulled together somehow. I remember on this particular production, there was one day where I think I was on the shoot for about two weeks, and we were shooting a specific action sequence uh, with the lead actors. And I think we were three units all shooting the same thing. And I remember thinking, like, "Wow, dude, I've been I've been shooting this thing for about two weeks, and all of a sudden, there's a whole other camera unit with people that I know, mm-hmm. but." I didn't even know they were shooting the same thing I was shooting, and mm. you know the the other DOP, the the main DOP was there, and I didn't even know he was the main DOP. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, I, that's I crazy. Think it's it's insane. It's absolutely yeah. insane. And I think I think that's the standard that you see in like Hollywood and places like that. Mm. Mm. Personally, I prefer a much smaller, much more intimate crew. I'm sure those kind of those kind of th- sets happen. But I think, on especially action movies, you don't you don't really see that kind of stuff. Yeah. Do you think, sure.
2: Do you think something's lost in that? Do you think there's something sort of dilution?
0: I I do I do think so. I think it's it's easy to lose the essence in something if you don't you as a creative don't have control as an HOD over everything. Um, like I said, we were at some point we were fi- th- full four different units shooting the same show yeah. so you know this guy lights it this way that guy lights it that way they're oh, wow. all DOPs and we're all trying to bring together the same thing but everybody has different thought processes of course there would be pre-production and everything would be worked out ahead of time but I do think like you said I do think there there is some sort of dilution I prefer I prefer, especially narrative stuff, to be much more intimate and uh, much more to the point from the heart.
2: Mm, I think I was reading an article. Deakins um, echoed the same thing. Um, like when he started working on like a larger, like much larger projects, like uh, recent, like later on the Twenty Forty Nine, and the producers um, were trying to convince him to do multiple. Um, units and he just like he just refused because because <laughs> it, it as yeah as you're saying there's just like too many cooks you know spoils the that yeah. Yeah. old broth <laughs> exactly <laughs> okay cool um I got one question here what are some characteristics of your ideal director to work with
3: um okay I'll answer okay um Characteristics that I think is very important for um, a director, particularly for myself, um, perhaps also in general, I think we can all agree is somebody who is open to listening and interpretation of any critique or questions or suggestions. Um, not necessarily that somebody that just agrees with everything but somebody who's at least just willing to listen and actually consider what you've said, not Absolutely. just pretending to listen and then throwing it out the window. Like hmm. there, some people just listen so that they can say that they did that and then carry on with their day. Um, and that's kind of defeating the purpose. The point is just to listen to what the people have to say around you and then to react upon that. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah, I think that's my main ideal thing is just somebody willing to actually consider what I have said to them.
0: For me, communication, uh, communication is key. Mm. Um, when, I, when I studied, especially I worked with some directors who just couldn't get a point across in mm. a way that, that anybody could really interpret it and understand mm-hmm. it. Um, I'm sure in their in their own heads they they had a very clear concise idea of what they wanted, but oftentimes it would either get lost in in translation or you know the the it the general idea wouldn't be carried across and I yeah. think you as a director you you have to direct and if you yeah. can't communicate then you can't direct
4: yeah, Agreed, yeah. for me i think uh I prefer someone who's not too technical because okay. they usually <laughs> like ask questions. Yeah, Why is it so dark? Why is it so like, you know, I, I prefer someone who who can trust me, like who really trusts the crew members and like who's like, okay, I will give you the freedom to do whatever you can. And as a director, they will also focus on directing. Like yeah, So I prefer someone who's not too technical as well.
3: Okay. Cool. Yeah, all very good points, frankly. Um, cool, uh,
1: Mark. Do you have a final question?
2: Oh, I suppose we can end off with talking about the sort of current situation that we're in right now, which is oh, yes. why we're all not together. Oh, is, um, yeah. <laughs> how has how has the this, this pandemic affected your work and what can you do or have you been doing at home during this pandemic?
0: Well, there is no work.
3: Yeah. Uh, cool.
0: everything we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but in all honesty, everything, yeah. it's, it's a dire situation. Everything around the world has been shut down from from you know, here in South Africa to the United States, to India, to Nigeria, Australia, all over the world. Mm. People are out of work. People are really struggling to make ends meet. Um, this year actually started amazing for me. Like I I had yeah. such a lovely start of the year. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're shutting down and yeah. we're getting cases of coronavirus in South Africa. And there's a lot of my colleagues who, who weren't as lucky this year. And, you know, it's, it's really bothersome because mm. they don't have an income. They haven't had much of an income this year. And quite frankly, we don't, we don't know when we're going to get back to work and when work is, mm. is if work is ever going to come. Um, just before we locked down, I was on a TV drama and we shot the first episode of the, the second season and we had to, we had to shut down. We were one of the first shows yeah. to shut down in the country. And mm, sure. literally a mm, mm, mm. couple of days after that, it was one after the other. Uh, mm. I'm talking with a lot of my colleagues, a lot of other camera technicians, grips and lighting guys, and no- nobody knows what's going on. Sure. So I think right now I'm, I'm keeping busy with shooting stock and stuff like that, trying mm. to figure out a hustle at the moment. But I'm hoping that we can get back to work as soon as possible.
2: Yes. That's so hectic. Yeah, because I was I was thinking about it as soon as it happened, I was like, there's no way except for like post production for mm. film sets to exist in any way because you're working so close to one another. There's no, there's no way to like socially distance yourself from, On a set, yeah. you know, the person that's like mm. the same mm. camera as you. You know what I mean? So and you
3: touch so much stuff. Like, there's no way that you can touch something that somebody I mean, else that, hasn't already touched. Mm, like, yeah. It's just yeah. not gonna work.
0: They said they're talking about getting a third of the workforce uh, back at work, but I mean, a third of the workforce is a skeleton That's crew, and yeah. yeah, and especially, especially in long-form TV dramas, or even commercials, man, you're you're not gonna be able to do much with a third of the workforce. Yeah, I do well, think yeah. that it will resume eventually. When, I can't say. We're all digging into our savings. And mm. you know, quite frankly, we don't know when that savings, eventually it'll dry up. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm worried. And there are a lot of people in the industry who are in very, very, very dire straits at the moment.
2: That's really hectic. But besides, you are saying, besides trying to get some stock footage to sell, what's, what are other ways that cinematographers can sort of generate some type of income And there's really hectic times
0: you know you can maybe do some sort of uh teaching lessons or something i don't know yeah. um mm-hmm. you know we've been but that's we've been a shooting.
3: long-term kind of goal that's, i i don't know if you if you put out lessons like that a who are you trying to sell the lesson to or b are you trying to do it independently if you're trying to do it on your own youtube cha- channel or something then you also got to play the long game of getting subscribers, getting to a certain amount. Like it's not something that's going to be helping you very soon. So that even in itself is like not really going to help you in the way that you you need it.
0: Absolutely. I agree. A lot of guys Mm. that I know also, um, they've been doing press uh, stuff for the media. They've been going out Mm. and shooting the news and so on. But at the end of the day, they're, there are a lot of us there are a lot of us that have to make ends meet and somebody's going to mm. draw the short straw at the end of the day I think people have already drawn the short straw so like I said yeah. not everybody was lucky enough to get jobs earlier this year to to get some sort of a savings yeah. there's a lot yeah. of people I know like I said they've been working for, for decades and all of a sudden they're in a situation where they don't know where rent's going to come from so
1: mm. cool um, <laughs> is there anything that we can say just to not end on a downer.
3: It's such a downer. <laughs> um, I, I see that a lot of people are finding ways in coming together through technology, which is um, very interesting and quite inspirational. People are talking about subjects and opening up about things that they normally wouldn't talk about. Um, and there is a sense of camaraderie globally um, around this pandemic. Which is is comforting more in an emotional way than what it can be in a physical or in a financial way. Um, but people are doing what they can, and I think that in itself is is a beautiful thing.
0: I'm optimistic. I think I really think we're going to get out of this for the better. It's just when, but I do think I do think that the world will be you know not only return to normal but will return to the better.
1: All right, cool. Well, um, I think let's end it right there. <laughs> um, yeah. So thank yeah, you. Actually, that was good.
3: I was like, was Thank like, you,
4: guys. <laughs>
3: thank you. So thank yeah. you so uh, much, yeah. and
1: Louise, Nadiz, <laughs> and Supang. Um, and also thank you to uh, Mark. And um, yeah, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Department Spotlight Pandemic Edition. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, guys, and thanks so much for coming on board uh, for uh, with the whole podcast and Uh, you know sending footage and all that stuff and yeah yeah and giving your time and everything thank you so much thanks
2: thank you guys. guys cheers
4: all right
2: so great that was the end of the conversation we hope you all learned something um if you did tell us about it down in the comments we want to know what you have gained from this and if there's a question about cinematography or any other part of the filmmaking process leave it down below as well i mean we're at home, so we'll, we'll, we'll answer all your questions.
1: <laughs> and yeah, remember to leave a like and, leave, and subscribe to the channel if you aren't already. Go check out all the films that we, we've done in the past and also go check out all the other episodes of Department Spotlight. So until next time, stay inside and make, make your, your movie. movie.